Welcome and thanks for joining us for this week's encouraging and faith-building message from C3 Topol. For more information about C3 Topol, visit our website c3churchtopol.org.nz. Now for this week's message. Jesus loves nothing more than a crisis. His very first miracle was a genuine crisis. His mother took him to a party he didn't want to be at, and we've all been to one of those. My parents used to take me to parties, and we had the, we had the Toyota Master Race Surf, which back in the day was like a legit van. It had moon roofs. It was just a fancy name for a sunroof. And, uh, and we'd all get put to sleep in the van at the party, and then mum and dad would drive us home at the end of it. And Jesus finds himself at a party with his mother. And the party has a crisis. It's a, it's a bridal party. It's a celebration time. And, and they run out of wine. So Mary goes to Jesus and gets Jesus to fix this problem. And they gets gallons, barrels and barrels of water. And Jesus prays over it and turns water into wine. Not just any old wine, the very best wine you can get. And they, they take it to the master of the ceremony. And he says, normally... At bridal parties, they leave the worst till the last. But you have done something great. You have saved the best until the last. Jesus is made for the crises. Most of the encounters, apart from when he's telling off the Pharisees, he's engaging in someone's crises. His disciples are in a storm in a boat and they're about to sink. And Jesus walks straight out into that crisis unafraid, undistracted, and says, peace be still, and the raging storm has come. He meets with his disciples as he's going into the city of Nain, a funeral procession coming out of the same city. A widow is burying her only son, possibly the most hopeless situation you'll find in that culture. A widow burying her only son. Death is coming out, life is coming in. Jesus touches the boy and brings him back to life. Jesus meets a man whose son is demon-possessed and throwing himself into a fire, constantly harming himself, a massive crisis for a family. Jesus delivers this boy from demonic oppression. Jesus is called by Mary and Martha to the tomb of their dead brother, Lazarus. Dead, four days, so far beyond possibility. But here Jesus turns up in the very midst of a crisis and in a moment transforms it, brings it back to life. We can't just save Jesus for the good times of life. Jesus was born and gifted to the earth to save us in the midst of our crises, not just to high-five us when we're on the mountaintop. And the biggest crisis he came to encounter is the crisis of the human heart. A heart that has been separated from the love of God. A heart that has been removed from the presence of God. A heart that has been broken through offense and unforgiveness and hurt and things that sometimes we didn't even deserve. It is the crisis of the human heart that God came the most to bring healing and restoration to. So the title of my message this morning is The Crises or the Cross. The crises or the cross. In Luke 5, crisis, crises, potato, patata, tomato, tomato. 
I thought of a whole lot more, but we'll just leave <laughs> leave it there. Um, Jesus walks into the city and uh, of Jerusalem, and there's a pool. It's like coming to the AC baths in Topol. And there's a whole lot of crippled and lame people sitting around this pool, waiting for it to be miraculously stirred by an angel. Now, I'm not going to talk about that because it's more than a Sunday sermon. But nonetheless, it was taking place. And whenever this pool was touched by the angelic, whenever its waters were moved, there was a window of opportunity for someone who was the fastest cripple, who was the fastest lame person, if they touched the water, if they got themselves in the presence of the water, they would get healed. And Jesus turns up at this pool, and he meets this guy. Says this, John 5, 5, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. I don't know, I don't know how long you've been living with what you're living with. I don't know how long you've been carrying a hurt or a pain or a suffering, but I'm telling you, today's your day. Today's your day. And at the end of the service, there's going to be a moment where you can stand up in faith to receive what God has for you. Receive healing, receive reconciliation, receive freedom, receive forgiveness. Whatever it is for your life, I know it can be found in Jesus Christ. And this guy had been sitting I don't know if he was 38 years old, but he was probably a little bit older, sitting by to the side of this pool, hoping to get in. And we know that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Living with a hopeful expectation, but never actually having hope fulfilled makes the heart sick. And here's this guy, 38 years, sitting, hoping, wishing, waiting that maybe it's going to be his time. Well, it is your time today. And Jesus came to him and he says to him, do you want to get well? It's almost like Jesus. That's like a stupid question. He's been sitting by the pool for 38 years, but there's always a choice whether we choose wholeness or not. There's always a choice whether we receive all that God has to offer. And we spoke last week that the writer of Hebrews says, when you today, when you hear the word of the Lord, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion, as they did back in the time when God was calling them to cross the Jordan into the promised land. And they hardened their hearts and they did not cross into the promise that God had for them. There's always a choice whether we engage with what God has on offer or whether we let it sound like a good idea, whether we let it surround us or whether we let it soak into us, whether we sink or soak. He says, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me. I'm here to help you into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He didn't wait an hour or a day. That was his moment. The word of the Lord came to him. Get up. Take your mat and go. Receive the word of the Lord. And let it bring healing and life back to your body. Back to your heart. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which that took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, 
it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But the man replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus's you can is bigger than the world's you can't. Jesus's you can is greater, more authoritative, and more powerful than the world's you can't. And we must choose who we listen to. We must choose who we engage with. We must choose the voices that we allow authority and speak to speak into our life. For as we know, there is life and death in the power of the tongue. So Jesus says to the man, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately there's a voice saying, put down your mat and sit. Immediately there's a, a contrary voice that says, who do you think you are? It's the Sabbath. Put down what Jesus has told you to pick up. Step out of the miracle and step back into the mundane. But the man says, and I, I love this guy, he said, well, the man who told me to do this, he said, pick up your mat and walk. So I'm picking up my mat and I'm walking. I'm going to let Jesus's can be greater than someone else's you can't. And I'm, you're, you need to let the you can of God be greater than the you can't of your problem, the you can't of your hurt, the you can't of your circumstance. You can buy the property. You can start the business. You can heal the marriage. You can get over the hurt. You can be put back together. You don't have to stay the way you were because Jesus says you can and he will and his word is good. He said, pick up your mat and start to move, start to walk in the miracle that I've put over your life. And today I want to encourage you. I want to give you faith to let you know that you can, not that you can't. You can get through it. You can get over it. You can do it. For God is with you and he's put a spirit inside of you. It's a spirit of power, self-control and a sound mind. In Numbers 21, I've taken out all my markers. There's a scenario when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness. They disobey God. And he fills the camp with snakes. There's snakes in their beds. There's snakes in their closets. There's snakes in their drawers, there's snakes in their workplaces, there's snakes in their soccer bag when they go to get their boots out, there's snakes down at McDonald's, Burger King, it's a bad day for Israel, there's snakes everywhere. He fills the camp with snakes. And they're not just any old snake, they're, they're venomous snake. Snakes that are biting people, snakes that are infecting people, snakes that are, as their venom gets in, people slowly are destroying the nation, poisoning, killing. They've got a genuine snake problem. And we've got a genuine snake problem, not the literal snake, but the snakes that get in us, snakes in our thinking, snakes in our heart that that try and poison us, that try and interfere, that try and bring doubt and discouragement and, and hurt and pain. 
These snakes try and infiltrate our thinking. These snakes, it's like error riding on the back of truth. It's close to being true, but it's not true. They blur the, the water. They fog our minds. And these snakes were destroying the nation. And God said to Moses, get a staff and forge a snake and put it up on the staff. That whoever comes and looks to the snake shall be healed. They had to take their eyes off the crisis and put them on the cross. He did not give them a snake management plan. He did not establish a council body to trap and kill all the snakes. Did not give them a management system. He gave them one option. He said, whoever comes and looks upon the snake that Moses has put on the staff, that person shall be made whole. That person shall find healing. That person shall be set free from what the snake has inflicted as they look upon the snake that Moses had fashioned. The eyes must be taken off that which inflicted the wound and the eyes must be fixed on that which heals the wound. The eyes must be taken off the crisis and fixed on the cross. Off the crisis and fixed on the Christ. Their eyes must have been taken off the thing that was hurting them and fixed on the thing that was healing them. And for us as believers, for us as Christians, our eyes must be on the Christ, not on the crisis. Yes, we need to do what needs to be done, but our eyes and our faith and our hope must be in Him who has overcome all things, not in the current circumstance that we find ourselves in. Single-minded, determined focus on that which brings healing. Fixing our eyes, as the Apostle Paul said, on Christ, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes on the Redeemer. Fixing our eyes on the Healer. Fixing our eyes on the Christ, the one and only Son of God, who is obedient unto death and therefore was given all authority in heaven and earth to do what He was called to do, which was to bring healing to His people. Fear must be left behind and faith must be clung to. I can imagine the Israelite people coming to the staff, snakes everywhere, wanting to avoid being bitten, avoid being inflicted, not wanting to disturb that which was around them. And don't let the fear of disturbing something stop you from getting to Jesus Christ. Don't let the fear of disturbing the status quo, disturbing your family culture, disturbing your past, disturbing those sleeping things. Don't, Because as we fix on them, we go where we look. But as they came through and they looked unto the snake, unto what Jesus Christ or God had given Moses to heal them, they brought healing to them. That which cured was shaped in the like of, likeness of that which was wounded. In John 3, says this, Jesus prophesying about himself. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. I was thinking about this eternal life thing the other day. I just naturally thought, we just naturally think stuff without even thinking about it. Like we all have this code book in us that was just in us from our way we've been brought up where we were brought up. We just live with it. Sometimes you've got to question your own answers. Like, why do I think that? 
And I was thinking about this eternal life thing, because I always thought like eternal life starts when you're dead. But if it's eternal, like it's eternal, right? It mustn't have a start or an end if it's eternal. Like God is eternal without beginning or end. He is. So is eternal life without beginning or end. It just simply is. So when we gaze upon Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, that's right now. That eternal life would be in you right now. The eternal spirit, the eternal power, the eternal love, the eternal being of God himself is not great. When I die, I'm going to be in eternal life. It's no right now for my life, my family, my marriage, my health, my finances. God has eternal life for me right now. In this meeting today, he has eternal life that he wants to pour in to your temporary death, to your pain, to your suffering, to what it Whatever it is, he wants to say to you, pick up your mat, stand up in faith and receive the healing that I have already purchased for you today. That as we take our eyes off the crisis and put them on the cross, eternal life flows from Christ to the human heart. And we encounter God in here, not in here. He's, we, we experience him and then we know him. We don't experience him through knowledge. We experience him through experience, through encounter. That's why the psalmist wrote, taste and see that the Lord is good. If I held before you a green, crunchy Granny Smith apple, like my face screws up at the thought of it. They're bitter. Yeah, they are. They're disgusting. Oh, this is a really bad example, actually. I'm thinking, where's this going? <laughs> where's this going? This is not going where I wanted it to get. If I hold before you a sweet plum, <laughs> and I could explain to you just how wonderful it's going to be when you bite into that, the, the, the slight resistance that the skin gives you initially before your teeth break through into the flesh and the juice that runs down and the taste sensation. It hits you right in the back of the skull. It like goes through your mouth, through your brain and bounces right back here. That's where taste hits me. It's like bang, right, right in the back of the head. I could explain to you just how wonderful it is, but the psalmist was saying you've got to taste and see. You've got to experience for yourself. And as you experience, you will see. As you experience, the eyes of your heart will be open just to see how flippin' wonderful God is. That you would taste, that you would experience all that God has on offer. That you would lift up your eyes and engage with the Christ and experience the love of God that is found through you know, the image of the Son flowing and bouncing all around our hearts, bringing healing to us. In our good times, we're to celebrate and share the cross. In our bad times, we're to cling to the cross. We're to fix our eyes on the cross, the Savior and the healer that bore our sin and our shame, that His healing and His love may flow into our life. The Israelites' flesh was wounded and poisoned by the venom of the snake, and it is now the human heart that is wounded and poisoned by the venom of sin. But Jesus Christ has purchased for us what we could not purchase for ourselves. That while we were totally unaware of our need for a Savior, He still came and died for us. And He purchased for us and opened a door for us that no one can shut, that we can now, whenever we need, come into the presence of God's love and receive in our hearts 
the healing that only He can offer. We must take our eyes off our crisis and fix them on the cross. And in the scope and the wonder of Jesus Christ, we realize things are going to be okay, that things are going to come back together. It may not happen overnight, as the good ad says, but it will happen. It's like Pantene Pro-V or something. It's the power of good advertising. But as we fix our eyes on the cross, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. The Old Testament is constructed to give us vivid imagery of the New Testament. As Moses lifted up the snake, people surrounded by destruction, people surrounded by hurt, people surrounded by that which seek to hurt them and inflict them. In that environment, he lifted up the snake. Not in the environment of wholeness, not in the environment of perfection, not in the environment where everything's, yeah, yeah, it's all going good, but in the environment when they are knee deep, he lifted up the snake that whoever looked upon it would receive healing. And you can look up to Jesus Christ in any season, in any scenario in life and receive the life that He and only He has to offer. Through any crisis, through any situation, through any problem that you're going through, you can lift up your eyes and fix them on Jesus Christ. He's so incredibly wonderful. And I know this morning, really soon, His love is going to touch your heart. His love is going to flood into you as you stand, as you lift your eyes unto Jesus Christ. I know because I know him and he's so wonderful. I went through this four days ago. I had a crisis in my life that brought up weird stuff. Brought up the feeling of being alone. Brought up the fear of being isolated. Got Brought up the fear of being disconnected. And that fear came from an 11-year-old boy who was left at a bus stop in the pouring rain, forgotten to be picked up for a birthday party. And Jesus used it so incredibly wonderfully that he brought healing to my heart, and it's all a setup. All through the Bible, Jesus uses his crises to access the human heart. That through the gateway of hurt, he brings healing. Through the gateway of pain, he brings peace. Through the gateway of hopelessness, he brings hope. Through the gateway of sadness, he brings joy. Because it's what he said he'd do, and he does it. He said he'll do it, and he does. I will give you the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for despair. I'll give you beauty for ashes. It's what he does and he does it. Not because we perform or because we act. He does it when we get real with where we're at. He does it when we open up our hearts and say, Jesus Christ, I'm hurt. I'm broken. I don't even know what I am right now, Jesus. And it's all right if you don't know. But he knows as he pours his love into your heart, he knew in that moment there was an 11-year-old boy who was going to be healed. And simultaneously, a 36, soon to be 37-year-old man was simultaneously healed. As that love of God, as I took my eyes off the crisis and was led to the Christ, the Savior. And this is what he wants to do for each and every single one of us. 
He wants us to stand up and walk in the fullness of life that He has for us. That He said to that man in John 5, Get up, pick up your mat at walk. And it says at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. We've got to listen. Even sometimes we feel we're so heavy, we're so broken. We say it's impossible to even stand. It's impossible to even move on. But Jesus' you can is bigger than your you can't. Sometimes we feel so oppressed, so heavy, so unable, unable to lift our hands or to lift our hearts, but it's the power of Jesus as you can is overpowering the power of you can. And it's in the power of the rise, it's in the power of the stand that the miracle begins to happen in our life, that freedom begins to flow to our life as we hear the word of the Lord and we do not harden our hearts, but we say, God, if you're calling me to do it, you're going to give me the strength to get through it. If you're calling me to rise, you're going to give me the strength to stand up. If you're calling me to walk, you're going to, you're going to put something solid under my feet. As you're calling me to, to break away from the old, you're going, to, you're going to cut off those things that are pulling me back. And as that beggar or that cripple, 38 years by the pool, 38 years of hoping, 38 years of wishing, 38 years of missing out, then Jesus Christ walks into his life and everything begins to change when Jesus turns up. And Jesus said, you can walk. You can get up. You can be free. You can be restored because I'm going to do a new thing. I'm not going to do the old thing. I'm going to do away with the old and bring a new thing. I'm going to open the door. I'm going to tear the veil. And I'm going to give you a place of standing, a place of love and a place of belonging. Jesus as you can is greater than the world's you can't. And I don't know who it is here today, but there's people in this room and you need to make a stand. You need to stand up for your wholeness. You need to stand up for your marriage. You need to stand up for your family. You need to stand up because Jesus Christ is calling you to rise up in faith. He's calling you to receive that which He has on offer. But when I read my Bible, I always see faith in action. He said to the man with the shriveled hand, stretch it out. And as he stretched out his hand, it became whole. He said to the blind man, the beggar, get up and walk. And as he, as he took his mat and got up, the miracle took place. Whole. Jesus is in the room because He wants to touch your heart and bring healing to your life. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a blessed week.